they did a book with a compilation of testimonies. And then um, and one of the stories is about this disciple whom Jesus loved. And it's the story of John, how he got sent to the island of Patmos. Does anybody know this story? It's a very powerful story because it shows the strength of when you know that you are the beloved of God. And this story, how it goes is he's in a Colosseum, and what they did back then was Christians were murdered for their faith. They were martyred for being Christians, and they were fed to lions and all kinds of atrocious things. And so John is here in the Colosseum, and they are getting ready to martyr the famous beloved of Jesus. And they're thinking about, how can we kill this guy? You know, sometimes they would try to feed Christians the lions, and the lions wouldn't eat them. And they would do other things, torturous things, but it didn't work because they were protected. And so they're trying to think, we got to make sure we get John really good. we got to make sure that whatever we do, we're going to make sure that we kill him. And so they're plotting what they're going to do, and so they come up with the idea, i got a great idea. Let's have a big cauldron of boiling oil. That will get them, right? Boiling oil. I don't think many people could survive that. So they're starting to lower this disciple whom Jesus loved, and they get it real hot and boiling. They start to lower him into this oil. And as he starts to be lowered, John just lifts his hands, and he's just praising God, the one who created the heavens, the one who created all things. He has seen, this guy had seen the Messiah walked, walked with them, talked with them, ate with them, slept with them, seen miracle after miracle of God's divine power and God's divine love. And so he had witnessed everything that God had done. And he's old in age. And it was prophesied that this disciple would not die. This is the disciple who laid his head on the chest of Jesus. And this disciple, as he's being lowered in, is praising God and the people are cheering. It's crazy. The people are cheering that finally they're going to get him. They're finally going to get him. And he gets lowered in. He's lowered into the oil, still praising God. Nothing is happening. No burn, nothing. He still, he's in the oil and he's still praising God. He begins to sing louder and louder and louder. And the crowd goes silent. Because what they're witnessing is something they've never seen before. And this crowd begins worshiping. The very crowd that was laughing at him, mocking him, and chanting for him to be killed and martyred is now worshiping God. And that's why the story of why they sent him to the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. It's because they couldn't kill him. They couldn't do anything with him. That is the power of knowing our identity in Christ. God says that you walk through any fire, you walk through any water, and I will be with you. That is our identity as a beloved 
We're all searching. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. You are constantly in your life trying to figure out who am I? Do you know who you are? So much of the world is trying to define us of who we are. But there's only one person who can define us for who we are, and that is God. Not, not, your, not your parents, not, your, not anybody in your family, your friends, your coworkers, anybody. Nobody can define who you are, but God is the one who defines who you are. And what God says about you is really, 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 really good. And it's not about you. It's about God. I, liked, I, I said it before. It's not your self-confidence. It's your Godfidence. Okay? It's your confidence in who God says that you are. And when you believe it, it's not just this thing that, oh, I know that I'm loved of God. You feel it. It's, it's in you. It's who you are. When you're walking into a situation, you walk with your chest out high, not because of how great and how grand you are, but because I know that when I walk, God walks beside me. And he's in me. And he's all around me. And my identity is completely enveloped in him. And so that's what I'm going to be talking today is about your identity. I wanted to share this quote, but before I do, I want you to make a decision right now because change starts with a decision. Right now, what area of your life, what fear, insecurity, what thing in your life do you feel like you want to overcome? And make a decision right now. We've been talking about it for seven weeks, about enlarging your expectation. Stop limiting God. Look how big God is. That's why when we look at everything that God made, we can raise our expectation for what we can experience in life. There are great things for your life, great things if you desire them, if you're willing to make a decision. We set our expectations so low that we're going to hit it every time. If we recognize who God is and who he has called us to be, we got to aim high and not be afraid that if we miss it, our self-worth is going to be devalued and we're going to feel like a failure. You gotta be, we got to be strong in this. So right now, just clo everybody close their eyes for a moment. What is that thing? What is that thing that you want to experience? And just set your heart. I expect to feel this. I expect to experience this. I expect for God, for you to speak to me in a personal and real way. God, I thank you that you're here today. I thank you that you call me your beloved, and I open my heart to receive everything that you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted to read this quote. I forget there's a minister who said this, and I thought it was really good. It says, preparation is the greatest evidence that you believe that something greater is coming. Did you hear that? Preparation 
is the greatest evidence that you believe that something greater is coming. I'm going to say it again. Preparation is the greatest evidence that you believe that something greater is coming. Start moving. As we've been talking about this series about moving forward, you got to start moving in a direction. A ship that is moving can have a course correction, but a ship that is uh, still and stagnant cannot be changed. We got to start preparing for something. And if you don't know what that thing is, I'm going to show you the best way that you can prepare in life and that you can have momentum in your life and you can sustain it. Because as you go through life and as we've been talking about, as you start, you know, as we're talking about identity, as you start to see yourself differently, there are things that will arise up in your heart and try to counter that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever tried to excel beyond what you currently think that you deserve? I know for me, as before I met my wife, I didn't feel like I deserved to get married. And I began to experience a love and a peace from God that I never felt. And what rose up in my heart was, you don't deserve this. And what I had to do with that and say, no, you're a liar. And that's not the truth of what God says. And I made a decision to keep moving forward. And the way that I kept moving forward was I reminded myself of who God says that I am. This is, I, even though I feel this, this is what God says. Who, who's right? We can't be the judge of what we think is right or wrong. That is the biggest deception You have no idea what is right or wrong compared to God's, his his wisdom and his knowledge. And so that's why we look to God to define to us what is right and wrong. You may think, oh, this is true about me, but we don't have a clue what's true about us if we're not letting it be filtered through the word and through what Christ says and what God says about us. So move towards something. Stop waiting for all your ducks to get in a row, okay? Stop waiting for everything to line up the way that you want to line up. Stop waiting for fear to disappear before you step out. You know, I used to always think, well, I'll do it when when I feel inspired, Clint actually shared this with me. It's always stuck with me. Inspiration just means in spirit. You know that you have the ability to always be in spirit because Christ is in you. If Christ ain't in you, then you need to get Christ in you. Stop waiting for inspiration. Stop waiting for fear to go away. Start moving. Start moving in that direction. Fear is just not going to magically disappear. The way faith works is as I take a step, I am empowered to keep walking, to keep stepping. But if I am just still and not moving, I can want all the grace in the world, but it is never going to work. You have to take a step. 
We talk about meditation. We talk about seeing it on the inside, seeing yourself differently than you could possibly see. That is, you have to have that. But it doesn't make it come true. It doesn't make it happen. All it does is make it believable. So when you see yourself, I see myself walking in a way, I see myself in a situation that I'm usually, I'm usually fearful and I see myself being bold, and I see myself being strong, all that does is make me, when I get in that situation, even and that fear starts to rise up in me, I may feel the fear, but because I have already, um, I've already meditated and I've already thought about the way that who God says I am, that I, I've been not given a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And when I meditate on that and I, I say, you know what, I believe that and I'm experiencing fear, I walk into that fear and put my foot on the devil's net because he's a liar. The devil is the author of fear. God is the author of love. And there is nothing more powerful than the weapon of love. It ain't just, oh, you know, let's stop talking. I know that God loves me. You need to meditate on God loves you every single day. That was what John's soul journey in life was. And we, as we talked about, John was worshiping God and praising God in a boiling cauldron of oil because he remembered every day that he was God's beloved. There is strength and power And the love of God, it is not weak. It is the strongest force. It is the strongest force. It it will defeat every single thing. It will defeat racism. It will defeat every single division that the enemy tries to plant. It's the power of love. You need to know that you are the beloved of God. So stopping the cycle, as, we, as Clint talked about last week, you take one step forward and two steps back. You want to stop the cycle of when you start moving in an area and it feels like, okay, I took a step, and then you take two steps back. It feels like you keep trying to get past this thing. You keep trying to rise above the way that you feel about yourself, but you keep taking two steps back. Well, I'm going to give you the answer. It's simply the answer is in the Word of God. And I want to go to Philemon 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. Y'all with me? Philemon, it's kind of a hard book to find in the Bible because it's only one page. So we got it up there. Um, It says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Go ahead and leave that up there for a second. That word sharing it has another meaning. It means participation. It means fellowship. And your faith is your reliance on Christ. It's trust 
Um, so the way you could read this is that the participation of your reliance in Christ, your walk with the Lord, may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Have you ever done something in life and it hasn't been effective? Well, yeah, plenty of times. I try to work on my car. It's not very effective. I need a mechanic. The participation of your faith, your trust, this is how our walk in the Lord, our walk in who we are as believers is effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Every, um, everybody say every good thing. Every good thing. Not every bad thing. You know, religion is really good at pointing out the bad things in you, isn't it? But the gospel is about acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. This word, acknowledgement, give me some grace, is epikonosko. Everybody say epikonosko. This means to become thoroughly acquainted with to know thoroughly, to know accurately, to know well, to become thoroughly acquainted with. Now, my question for, for all of us is, are we thoroughly acquainted with every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus? You know, when I think about being thoroughly acquainted with, Obviously, well, my wife and my baby's gone, but I was going to use her. But it's, you know, it's a relationship. Are you thoroughly acquainted with someone in your life? You know what I mean? You're, you know them. You know, it's not just this, it, it's, a, it's a knowing. It's this deep, intimate relationship. Um, and that's, we have to know. We have to be thoroughly acquainted with every good thing that is in us in Christ Jesus. You have to be. If you want to be sustained in life, as you begin to stay, take steps forward and you start to rise above what you think that you deserve, you've got to be sustained every single day that I'm going to be acquainted with every good thing which is in me in Christ Jesus. And then my faith and my walk will become effectual will become effective. Anything that I desire that God wants to give me, God will meet every single need of mine. So I'm going to quickly give you some quick scriptures to show you what it means of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And I'm promoting Clint's book. It's in the back. Say yes to God. God says yes to over 3,000 promises. You can look at all these promises and you can be become acquainted with each one of them. I'm just going to list about five scriptures quickly, but there are hundreds and hundreds of scriptures for you to become acquainted with so that your faith will become effectual. So Colossians 2.10. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality 
and power. You are complete in Christ. So when you go into a situation, you feel like, I don't measure up. I don't got it. I don't, I don't have what I need. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm timid or I'm shy or I'm not a good talker or I don't, or, you know, whatever it is, or I don't play, you know, this sport good or whatever it is in your life that you feel like you feel this inability, the truth is you are complete in Christ. You measure up because Christ measure up in you. Amen? So that's just one scripture you can go to. 2 Timothy 1.7. says, the, or 2 Timothy 1.7. Okay, we can do this one. Jeremiah 31.3. It says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. When you go in life and you start moving forward, there's a lot of sometimes condemnation of your past, things that from your past are going to rise up and try to condemn you. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are loved with an everlasting love. That means it has no end. That means it's unconditional. It means that no matter what you do, in the eyes of God, you are loved. You are treasured. God just doesn't love you because that's what he has to do. God loves you because of of who you are and who he's made you to be and the price that he laid for your life to be purchased by by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are loved with an everlasting love. He has drawn you with unfailing kindness. You got to be grounded and found and rooted in this that no matter what, when those feelings start to creep up and or when you mess up, am I, am I saying that sin is okay? Absolutely not. Sin kills and destroys. But what you have to know is when you mess up or when you, you don't act the way that you should, you need to remind yourself of the, not of a filthy, terrible person that you are, but you need to remind yourself of your identity as the beloved of God. I am loved with an everlasting God, even though I messed up royally and I deserve, you know, this or that, but because of what God has done for me in Christ, I don't get what I deserve. I get what Jesus deserved. Amen? There's so much humility in that, and that is true humility, not lowering yourself to, to feel like, oh, I'm nothing, but to recognize that Christ in me, the fullness of glory lives in me. True humility is recognizing what God has said about you. That is true humility. When you felt it and you missed it, recognizing what God says about you. So Colossians 3.9. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds, verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. When you start moving forward in life, start rising above what you currently feel like you deserve. The old man is dead. The old man being sinful desires, sinful passions of the flesh, 
That old man, the old way of you thinking, that, that way of thinking that's limiting God or looking at yourself worthless, whatever that defines for you, that old man is buried. That old man is dead. It has been crucified with Christ and put on the new man. The new man is who you are in Christ. In the scripture in 1 John 4, 17, it says, as he is, so are we in this world. That means the way that Jesus walked, the way that Jesus lived, that is the life that we can live. We can experience the same kind of life that Jesus experienced. That's putting on the new man. In Galatians 5.22, we have that one. But the fruit of the Spirit, so this, as we read this quickly, this is true about you. Everything that is listed in this fruit of the Spirit, if you have said yes to Jesus, this is true about you. You say, I got an anger problem. In Christ, you don't have an anger problem. You got a love problem. That's the truth. You say, I got anxiety. You got the peace of the Lord. You say, I'm, I'm a depressed person. You're not a depressed person. You have the joy of the Lord living on the inside of you. So, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So you can read any of these scriptures. This is your identity. This is who you really are. And you, this is what sustains you in life to keep moving forward. In life, if you want to keep the momentum going, you don't want to slow down. There's a, there's a saying that Andrew Womack would say is that if you can get, you know, if an object is going a million miles per hour, it's hard to make a U-turn. You want to be going so fast in life with the Lord walking in your identity, that you can't take a U-turn. It's impossible. You can't turn around. There is no turning around. There is no going back. And so I'm going to read a story out of Judges 6. This is one of my favorite stories because I do relate to this story. Anybody have heard the story of Gideon? Judges 6.1, we're going to go to verse 16. It says, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Mennonites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, and both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Mennonites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So what is happening here, if you know this story, 
So what it said is every time the children of Israel would sow, they would plant, the Midianites would come in and camp against them and take everything that they had worked hard for. So this is a prime example of the children of Israel taking a step forward and taking two steps back, right? Every time they'd move forward, they'd have to take two steps back. Had to be pretty frustrating, right? Have you ever felt like that? Every time you plant something, it gets plucked up. Verse 7, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Mennonites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. So the prophet, what he does is he announces what God has done for them in the past. Sometimes in life, when you face a situation, the only thing that you need to do is remind yourself of God's faithfulness in your life. Remind him, remind yourself of God's goodness of what he has done, right? Verse 10, also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So they, they started to blame God for forsaking them. When clearly it says, but you have not obeyed my voice. And just like the children of Israel, it says they are the one who's, who tested the Holy One of Israel. The children of Israel were never meant to walk in the wilderness for 40 years. It was not his plan for them to walk in the wilderness for 40 years. It was his desire for them to walk straight into the promised land. But it was the children of Israel who tested God. It was the, they were the reason that they walked in the, you know, in the wilderness for 40 years. And so it is the same way with this story, is they are the reason for not trusting God, for not remembering who God had been in the past. You know, they just got comfortable in their lives and they started living in a way that, that where they were not trusting God anymore. So this is where Gideon comes in. Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abbey Ezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide from the Midianites. So I don't know a lot of things about threshing wheat. Anybody wish uh, wheat threshers here? <laughs> no. So Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press, which sounds like to me he's, he's hidden. He's not threshing wheat in the open, which I think is normally what you would do is thresh wheat in the open. So Gideon is hiding, okay? And the Lord, so as he's in this place of hiding and trying to make sure, because remember, every time they would start to produce anything, 
the Mennonites would come and take it away. I mean, that had to be a ridiculous, this said it happened for seven years. Could you imagine doing something for seven years and every time you begin to prosper, it's taken away from you? It had to be very frustrating. Uh, verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. So I, I picture Gideon like, you talking to me? <laughs> you talking to me? What, who are you talking about? Mighty man of valor. Um, verse 13, Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? You ever ask that? When people try to encourage you, God is with you. You're God's beloved. God loves you. You know what's happening in my life? Do you, know, do you know what I've been through? If God is for me, if God really, can't, why is all these things happening? Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him, or I finished 13, said, Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord um, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us from the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So this is Gideon's response. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. You shall defeat the Mennonites as one man. So Gideon begins reminding the Lord of all his weakness. You know, you could say, I, I came from a poor family. You know, or you could say, you know, I wasn't raised in church, or I wasn't this, or I wasn't that. And really, they're just excuses. If you know who you are, then you can defeat any army as one man, because the one man that is inside you is Christ Jesus. The number, if you know the story of Gideon, it was Gideon who went with, I believe it was, he raised an army of 32,000, and God said, that's too many. You gotta lower that. Because if you do this, then you'll get glory. So there, there was a, I, I don't have time to share the way, but they dropped the number down to 10,000. Gideon's saying, surely that has to be enough. That has to be low enough, Lord. Lord said, no, that's not low enough. Man, you're gonna still get the glory for this. The Midianite army was 135,000. And the Lord still said, 10,000, that's, that's still too many. So the Lord, it dropped to 300 men with Gideon. And Gideon, who was outnumbered in his army, one to 400, defeated the whole Midianite army. Nothing is impossible in your life. No, no matter what situation you are facing, 
as you go, you need, we, we need to remind ourselves every day of what God says about us. He's going to call you something that you think is crazy. What I am doing speaking up here, I would never imagine, and I say this often, in a million years. I couldn't get up in front of a class in high school and say two words. But God calls, God calls those things that are not as though they are. That is faith. It's seeing something that you cannot physically see with your eyes and seeing it with the eyes of your heart. That is what faith is. It's seeing with the eyes of your heart, which is in spirit. And every thought, every argument that comes against you, cast down by the obedience of Christ Jesus and relinquish every single thought that rises up against you. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord. God, we thank you that we take something today, that I am your beloved, I am your child. And just like Gideon, who felt like he was nothing, felt like he came from the weakest clan, felt like he had nothing to offer, God spoke to him. And that word that God spoke to him was able to lead him to deliver the nation of Israel if you feel like you're weak, if you feel like you're not enough, you're the perfect candidate for God to use you. That's who he wants to use. Not people that puff themselves up and say, I got it all together, but people that humble themselves each day and say, God, I need your grace. God, I need your mercy. God, I need you to speak into my life who that you say I, I am. And God, I'm gonna look into your eyes and the reflection that I see in your eyes is the reflection that I'm going to believe about myself. Your word is my mirror. I don't look at a physical mirror to define who I am. But I look at the mirror, which is the word of God, and I will define who I am by that word, by that truth. And when I define my life by that truth, I can walk with a confidence. I can walk with a boldness just like John, who's praising God in the cauldron of oil that is boiling. There is no situation that will defeat you when you stand as God's beloved. God, I receive that truth, and I just thank you for speaking to me. God, thank you for what you're doing in each person's life. God, thank you that you're faithful. God, I thank you for each one here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.